Nutrition and Balance built to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Work back Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. There should be no judgment over everyone's attachment style. Thank you, Ella. On today's episode, Kate, Ella, and myself, Taylor, are in conversation with author of Love Understood, Laura Muka, talking about attachment theory. Attachment theory informs the way we act and react in relationships, how we relate to others, and can help us understand our ability to establish intimacy. We took an online quiz, as one does when really trying to tap into one's psyche, to get an idea of what our attachment styles might be, And we chatted with Laura to get a more meaningful understanding of how this theory and our unique styles affect our relationships. My name is Laura Buka and I used to be a lawyer, but now I am a writer. And I usually write about love and relationships for adults and then all sorts of different things for children. And I also do work with charities like UNICEF to explore the role of love in childhood. Turns out love's really important. Who knew? And then can you define attachment theory for us? Attachment theory is one of the most researched areas in psychology. And that means that it is incredibly difficult to summarize accurately. It also means that you can do a quick Google and find um, a very inaccurate summary that you can then slightly dangerously read and make firm conclusions about yourself and all your relationships and your entire upbringing, and then go forth into the world deciding, you know, you mustn't date this person or your relationship's doomed because you think this and that. So it's really, really complicated. But the basic premise is that we're not all the same when it comes to relationships, that we have certain ways of being that influence our relationships in different ways and that they can they fall into sort of different groupings but there are very different types of attachment researcher and they all have quite different theories if you want me to summarize attachment and the different patterns to you I'll give you the best short summary I can 
but I have to kind of give this really important disclaimer, which is that I'm mixing up different schools of attachment. They all have their different opinions. There are people that think it's all about the way you focus your attention. There are people that think it's about how you regulate your emotion. And there are people who think that it's something else. And so like, this is a very, very, very oversimplistic summary in terms of like your adult attachment styles, the ones that you obsess by using a questionnaire, and um, then it is seen that there are kind of three main attachment patterns. One is secure. You don't find intimacy or commitment particularly stressful. Relationships are quite straightforward for you. And it's, it's likely that you had quite a loving upbringing where the people that brought you up or the person that brought you up was loving and available and sensitive to your needs and gave you a kind of safe haven and a secure base from which to explore. That's true of over half of all people based on a big review of studies. The other two main types I call anxious and avoidant. Lots of different researchers have lots of different words for it. Avoidant essentially means that you idealize independence. You can find relationships suffocating. You might sort of be perceived as arrogant or unforgiving or picky the idea being that you want to see yourself as brilliant because you don't really want to rely on others yeah and some would say that you're not really in touch with your emotions or that you focus your attention away from relationships because you don't want to ever feel vulnerable and you don't really see them as that important you really value personal space and then anxious is sort of in some ways the opposite so instead of seeing relationships as not important or focusing your attention away from them you'll focus a lot of your attention onto them. You might be hypersensitive to threats, so wondering where that person is and being very sensitive to anything that suggests that they're not around or available. And in children, we see something called protest behaviour where you might get a bit grumpy if they're not available and get a bit angry with them. So I think you guys have all done an attachment quiz that in science would be called like a self-report. The quiz probably said, I find relationships a bit claustrophobic, agree on a scale of one to seven or something like that. Whereas there's a whole nother branch of attachment researchers that would never use that kind of assessment. They would use what's called the adult attachment interview that is designed to surprise your subconscious. And for a book that I'm working on at the moment, I had trained to do the adult attachment interview and then conducted it with seven people. And I also did the kind of quiz thing that you did, but the scientific version of it. And they're very, very, very different. Like the AAI, the adult attachment interview, takes an hour and a half and asks grueling questions with no real feedback from me. So you can tell me all about horrific loss and abuse and sadness that you've experienced. And I won't say, oh, that sounds terrible. I'll just ask you the next question. And it's literally designed to kind of surprise the subconscious. Whereas the questionnaire is like some questions that have been reworded. So you're essentially asking the same thing over and over that, you know, can be marked in like five minutes whereas the AI has to be transcribed and coded for like six to ten hours yeah that makes a lot of sense because I think with kind of introspective quizzes like that on the internet people love them but it's really often easy to see what each question's getting at and and gain those quizzes a little bit and so specifically in reference to something like an attachment theory quiz, but really with these kind of self-diagnostic quizzes online in general, if you are told that you have secure attachment from a quiz like that, 
how much should you take from that? Is it directionally helpful or should people really be using other means to try and dig into what their attachment style is? She's asking well, for think- a friend. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I liked my answers, so can I just use those? Well, so, for example, the seven people that I have done the adult attachment interview with and the uh, ECRR, the Experiencing Close Relationships, revised questionnaire, which I imagine is sort of similar to your quiz but won't like I think your quiz will be a slightly diluted version of them often they had completely different results and this is a common finding so what what is a sort of paradox is that the two theories that are called the same theory attachment theory they rely on the same sort of principles in a way but if you did both of these measures the chances are you wouldn't have the same result from both of the measures. So what are you therefore learning? The psychologist behind the adult attachment interview would say, you know what, if you can guess what the questions are getting at and you can game it, as you have just said, then where is the space for us to surprise the subconscious? And their argument is that it's the subconscious that is driving a lot of the patterns in relationships that they're interested in. And so if you're not surprising the subconscious, what exactly are you getting? I think in, in, your, in answer to what can I take from it? Well, I think the first thing is to think whatever form of assessment you do in anything, whether it's attachment or anything, is to remember that like humans are complicated and we cannot adequately summarize everything about the way you are in relationships from a really short, pithy online quiz. And secondly, attachment theory, as brilliant as it is in in so many ways, is only one aspect of things. And there are lots of different ways of looking at how we are in relationships. And so, you know, you don't want to essentially reduce everything to one theory. And within that theory, there are loads of different ways of assessing it. So I guess I would say that the best way of looking at your results are to think, that's interesting. How does that resonate with me? What about that feels true? And what about that doesn't feel true without seeing it as absolutely definitive? I think it is valuable to kind of explore what's going on. But, you know, in pure self-report, you know, you could come up with a label that you think is flattering or that you've decided is a good one to have and then sit back and go, okay, great. I'm perfect. I don't need to do anything. All the arguments that are happening in my relationship are my partner's fault. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not very helpful. Or you might think, oh, my God. I think that secure attachment is the best one and I've got one that I don't think is as good and therefore I'm a failure, which is also not a very helpful way to think about it. And and it's not as clear as that. You know, there's loads of benefits to all the different attachment patterns or styles. I do just want to point out that I did get secure attachment style and then Ella told me, no, but then Ella told me that that wasn't true and tried to diagnose me with the voided. So I also like to, I'm like, there should be no judgment over everyone's attachment style. Thank you, Ella. I don't know that I was judging. I was just in... She said, there's no way that you're secure. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I think you're... That was her exact words. I'm also secure with 9% avoidant, according to her quiz. And I think you actually had more avoidant in your reporting, but I reported secure avoidant and you reported secure.
Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's not science as we're hearing. As we're hearing, we, we need another evaluation. But I, I wondered, like, thinking about that, is there ways that your attachment style can change as we grow? I mean, a lot of the influence, obviously, it comes from a lot of things that happen when you're younger and childhood, but are there other things that can influence it? And can we kind of change our behavior as we age? So the research looking into attachment over time generally falls in that kind of adult attachment interview group of research, less the self-report quiz, because you can't give that self-report quiz to like a five-year-old because it asks, you know, what are you like in romantic relationships and what are they going to say? So I think that with if we're looking at that research then yes there are things that can change over time for example you might start with having parents or caregivers who are really loving and responsive and sensitive and consistent and brilliant and then one of them dies or both of them die or the place you live turns into a war zone and you are separated from them for extended periods of time, or they have mental health problems, or you are abused by them or someone else. You know, there's lots of things that can impact your attachment pattern, but also in adulthood, significant trauma and also seeing a therapist and some argue that if you get together with someone who is secure, then essentially they kind of lift you to security yourself so it's called the broaden and build theory so basically you date someone secure for a long period of time which isn't always easy because if you're avoidant you break up with them before you can date with them for a long period of time and then you know you your insecurity I don't know how to describe it like where's a way so like a way that might work is if you are secure and I am what I call anxious not anxious in like the traditional use of the word but anxious and attachment then I might think oh my God, where are you? Hello, hello, you haven't called You haven't called me back. Are you having an affair? What's wrong? Is something wrong? Have you been hit by a car? And then you, if you were secure, would just go, oh, hi, sorry, I was in a meeting. I'm right here. And I'd go, oh, okay, that's fine. And then every time I'd, you know, worry about your availability, you'd kind of soothe me a bit. And then I wouldn't have to worry so much. I'd just sort of get used to it. So that's like one theory. Whereas if I went out with you and you were avoidant and I was anxious, then when I needed that soothing, you weren't around because you don't really like to be needed that much. You like to be uber independent. Then every time that I need that kind of calming down, I don't get it. And so I stay in this state or it becomes exacerbated. So there's lots of theories about what can impact you over time, but there's also some controversy because some researchers, they've looked at people who, so there's like a a terminology called earned security so that, you know, if maybe you didn't have an upbringing that would have led to you being secure, but you are now secure. So how did that happen? But some people say, well, actually, if you break it down, the people who have earned security actually have had really, really loving upbringings. So maybe they didn't earn it. But I think it's quite important from a philosophical level to believe that you can change because there has to be choice and there has to be hope. But at the same time, there's absolutely no doubt that our early experiences are massive in shaping us. Massive, massive, massive. And people, for example, who experienced severe abuse like I I interviewed a lady I mean it's obviously very extreme who was kidnapped as a child for eight years and I said to her wow I think you've recovered really well and she said it's not a case of recovery this is who I am and the moment I said the word recover it just felt like such a silly word for me to have used 
Um, so, I, you know, I think that a lot of these experiences do become part of who we are. And, and to think that you can just magically undo completely everything from what's happened to us in our very, very formative years is, is mistaken. But there's still an element of choice and there is stuff that we can do. Yeah. yeah. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm over here formulating some very strong opinions because I, in all my kind of readings around attachment theory, can see very clearly kind of how I used to be avoidant and how I've gotten secure. And I don't think it happened to me through a traumatic experience. I think it just happened over time in a secure relationship. I developed these habits that were a little bit healthier for me than my old avoidant ways. Well, so, you know, that fits with the broaden and build theory. And I do, you know, the whole idea of seeing a therapist is that they model a secure relationship with you and that helps you over time. Always down to turn this into a private therapy session for me, but no. And I think for what I've modeled over time, I was, when I was young, I never let anybody be called my boyfriend. I would go on two dates with a guy and be like, I don't like him. I'm not into him. Nobody was good enough for me, which reading that's very avoidant. Now I've been in a relationship for seven years with the same person. We're getting married. And I. Congratulations. Thanks. I think it was never that. And I don't know that there, and I went to therapy way after I started the relationship with him. And so I think it was just in trusting him that I was able to kind of change my attachment style and not because I fell head over heels in love with him or had this kind of intense experience when we got together. But also just growing up, I think like part of me thinks because I similarly, well, no, very different. Actually, I've had a lot of long-term boyfriends like my friends all always joke that I'm a like commitment phobe monogamous because I just always date my boyfriends for two years and then I'm like but I do think within relationships I completely agree Elle that I was like very avoidant and now I whatever it's the you know (laughs) I think now I think more secure and less avoidant but part of it feels like just the natural development of being in your late teens your 20s and your 30s but is that oversimplification? I think it is an oversimplification I think also that unfortunately for you in this particular case where I think you are quite keen on being secure (laughs) some researchers found that people who are avoidant do tend to think that they are secure because basically if you're avoidant and like now that this is going to get a bit messy and I'm sort of mixing the the AI group of research and the ECRR group of research, but like some uh, 
therapists and researchers have suggested that your way of being is essentially to see yourself as invulnerable because you don't want to rely on others and you might project your vulnerabilities onto others so that others are weak and, and not yourself. The idea being that at some point along the way you learn that others weren't safe to rely on and uh, you might have shifted your attention away again another kind of school of thought that it's all about attention so you're shifting your attention away from needing a partner and you might shift it onto as a child you might shift it to playing with toys as an adult you might shift it to work like whatever it is you're shifting your attention away from anything that might make you feel vulnerable because you don't want to feel vulnerable because you don't want to need other people because that's happened in the past and it didn't go so well so if that is the case then you would be more likely to want to see yourself as really excellent because that is your kind of way of being in the world do you know what I mean you see yourself as excellent because you're the only person that you're prepared to rely on but that doesn't mean that you are secure you're avoidant I'm just kind of highlighting a vague tendency and the other thing I'd like to say about your tendency to break up with people after two years is that it's quite difficult to pin down exactly how long the honeymoon period lasts uh, because it, it varies depending on the kind of method of assessment. But let's say that it has been found to be, say, 18 to 24 months. Yeah. Then what happens is there's a kind of a transfer from that early, heady, romantic love where you're able to project onto someone else and they can be everything that you have ever wanted. And the lust is really high and everything is like intoxicating and powerful. And then it slowly transitions and you realise the reality of the person that you're with. They're human, like we all are, and, and actually the lust calms down a tiny bit. And then yeah. you're, and that transition, to use some words that some psychologists use and that I use in my first book, romantic love to companionate love, so like a sort of a karma friendship love, it's that transition that's quite difficult. Some of the people that I interviewed who who thought that they were avoidant recognized that pattern in themselves that basically it would all be amazing in the early heady phases and then the moment like the glamour left basically and it looked like it was entering into the solid we've got to talk about who's going to wash the dishes I'm not gonna like always brush my teeth for you kind of zone that they get slightly freaked out by commitment and go away yeah, I just get, you know, desperately bored. But anyway, the good news <laughs> is I have been with my I have been with my current boyfriend for, you know, four and a bit years and reportedly oh, we're engaged. Yeah. So, you know, I we're engaged. I have no plan to get married. But thanks. I don't really care about it. But anyway, it's not avoidant at all over there. Yeah, exactly. No, so I will secure. have a kid with him. I will have a kid with him, which I feel like is way more of a lifelong commitment. Anyway, there's a lot to unpack here. So let's move on. <laughs> Taylor yet. Yeah, exactly. Taylor. Taylor is single, which Ella. So this actually got me thinking it's a little bit more earlier. We talk about attachments as they go in romantic relationships. And obviously we seek out these partners in life and that's where attachment theory kind of comes from, but do they apply to platonic relationships? And do we mirror those same patterns with our friends as well as our SOs? Well, in the AAI kind of school of thinking, the attachment bond is really re- like 
it's restricted to people that are very close. So it would be a parent or a caregiver. It could be a very, very close teacher or a relative, a grandparent. If you see them a lot, it might be an older sibling. And there would be a hierarchy of people. So it's not like you're attached to your mum, but not your grandma. You'll be attached to all of them in different ways, depending on how available they are for you. And you'll also have a different attachment bond with each of them. So you might be the child equivalent of secure. You might be secure with one person and not with another. When you get to adulthood, the theory is that an attachment bond is is something that's quite intimate. So, you know, if we're talking about, because like friend is a big word, there are some friends that you see once a year that you only rely on for fun times. And there are friends that you call at 3am when you need someone to drive you to hospital. And, you know, attachment is more likely to describe that friend than the latter because they have to be, I think, quite relevant to like safety and protection, basically. And the friend that you go to the pub with once a year to get smashed is not, you know, highly relevant to your safety and protection. But, you know, it's also... There are some that argue it's much bigger than that, like attachment patterns have been found to relate to all sorts of things like mental health and well-being in adulthood. So it's a lot bigger. Where my mind goes right away is two best friends when one of them gets a significant other and they kind of fight over that or the relationship between the two best friends gets really tense or the friend doesn't like the new boyfriend because it is that intimate bond that's you're kind of losing the person you trust. Yeah. I mean, I would say that a, a very best friend like that is a, an attachment bond. Like when I think of the closest people in my life, I'm an only child. And so I have friends who are like siblings to me. So, you know, if in childhood, an older sibling can be an attachment figure, I don't see why if there's someone that you would rely on and seek safety and protection from, which I think best friends can do, which incidentally I think is interesting because when it comes, like the research on divorce finds that men often suffer more than women. And one of the theories behind that, although it's like quite quite hard to kind of verify, is that it's because women are like generally a bit better at having stronger social support networks. So you lose one attachment bond, but you do have some others there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas with men, like it, often what happens is their partner is the only person that they're having that kind of really intimate relationship with. And then when that ends, you lose that person, but you also lose the person you would talk to about when stuff goes wrong. And so a lot of the guys that I interviewed talked about, well, when there's a really significant relationship end, all they were offered from their male friends was to go and get drunk, basically. Mm -hmm. Are people who kind of are more secure in their attachment style more likely to have more intimate relationships in their life? How much does our attachment style kind of impact our compatibility and relationships we develop? Well, yeah. So, I mean, generally you have slightly better relationships. I mean, I say slightly, you you have better relationships. The idea is that, you know, if you're not freaked out by commitment and intimacy, then it's just going to be less of a big deal. And if you've grown up with internalizing the idea that you are loved, that you're worthy of love, that you can rely on other people when you ask for help, it's there that the world is a safe place, you have control over your environment, then you internalize that to the future, then that might be what feels like home. So you're more attracted to people that provide you with that. There is often a replication of pattern. So if you grow up in a a scenario where that's not what home felt like, 
you might find that kind of comfort and stability and love quite threatening might be quite difficult actually because it's not in any way familiar to you yeah it can be incredibly scary I think for some people I think also one psychologist mused that if you have a secure attachment style so like the ECRR kind of school if you have that kind of attachment style then because you're so straightforward you might not seem as like hard to get when you're first dating someone so if I'm anxious and you're avoidant and you're unavailable that might activate my attachment system and I might think oh my god this is chemistry whereas it's maybe not chemistry it's my attachment system being activated because you're not available and then I might think oh my god you know we've really got something special here Whereas if I dated someone secure, there's no drama, there's no activation because you're just there when I need you because you're quite straightforward and that might be less appealing or exciting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when they say we love the chase, it's really just our attachment styles playing out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, possibly. Although I have read some research that has found that playing hard to get is just a bit of a useless strategy, but also... If if like if what you want is an open, honest relationship, then not playing any games is quite a good way to filter from the outset. Like if you're dating someone who finds intimacy very threatening and you're just kind of honest about, you know, what you expect from a relationship, then you might filter out those people earlier rather than later. That sounds a lot easier said than done to just come into a relationship <laughs> open and honest, looking for an open, honest relationship. The games are what protect us. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Safe to say we got attached to Laura. We simply could have talked to her for hours. I mean, when it comes to observing our personalities and how we relate to others, I think it piques many of our interests as we seek to be more thoughtful about our connections and deepening our understanding of ourselves. And as we continue our self-exploration, Laura warns us to be careful when you're Googling, to not put so much weight on the results of online quizzes, and to read more academic texts to help sort out all the complexities. On today's show, you heard from Laura Mucha in conversation with your hosts, Ella Dove, Kate Spees, and myself, Taylor Camille, whom also produced this episode along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. If you are attached to this show, send it to a significant other, a best friend, and tell them to subscribe. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and continue sharing yourself. Mixing and scoring by our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel, and our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette. Special thanks to Jess Friedman, Jen Snyder, and Cassie Wolfe.